0: The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving Of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition such a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And so he said to them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and a multitude was in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, that you, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Father, we pray, thanking you for your word and asking that you would bless the reading of your word. Open our eyes open our ears to what you have for us this morning in the name of your son Jesus we pray amen as we've been saying for the last couple of weeks Jesus is not just some wonder worker he is the Lord in our midst God, the Eternal One, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, come among us, walking among us, taking up His residence with us. He is the Lord of hosts in our midst, the Holy One of Israel. John offers to us in this text some interesting and significant details to the story. He tells us that this takes place on the Sabbath, which is going to become an issue later on in the story. He tells us that this happens near the Sheep Gate, where there was a market for temple sacrifices. It was called the Sheep Gate because that's where sheep were purchased for sacrifice in the temple. And this event, this sign... The third of Jesus' signs that John gives to us takes place right near the sheep gate. And he tells us that, in particular, it takes place at the Pool of Bethesda, which literally means House of Mercy. So you can start seeing some themes coming together. The Sabbath and all of its rules and regulations that the Pharisees and the religious authorities had put together to defend the honor of the Sabbath, the sheep gate and temple sacrifices, and this pool of Bethesda, a house of mercy. John also tells us that this takes place in amidst a multitude of folks. A multitude of folks who are lame and injured and hurt and sick, those in need of help, a multitude of folks with regard to the religious authorities and the priests and those who are entering in and exiting that sheep gate and moving about through the temple. It's a crowded place. There are lots of faces, lots of people around, lots of bodies And there's this certain poor lame man who Jesus notices. We don't know much about his condition, just that he has some infirmity. And that because of it, he needs help getting around. He needs help getting up from his bed, a portable mat that he would carry with him, probably rolled up. He needs help getting from the porch. Those five porticos or porches that are mentioned, which served as as shield from the intense sun and the elements, and a place for folks to gather. And he needs help getting into the pool. Your your Bible may not have um, the last. Part of verse three and all of verse four in it, in fact, if it doesn 't it 's probably got a little footnote that explains what 's missing there. Some of the oldest manuscripts have those verses about the angel coming and touching and stirring up the water, and then some of them don 't and so so most scholars think that it is probably a commentary that a scribe just uh, a, f- a few years after the gospel was written, perhaps might have written. In the margin to explain what's going on. but nevertheless, whether those uh, phrases were originally in the text or not, they're mentioned again later in verse uh, verse seven, when the man says, "Look, when the water's stirred up, I can't get there quickly enough. Others beat me to it. This man needs help, quite plainly. His condition seems quite pitiful and pitiable. Notice what he doesn't have. He doesn't have hired help, and he doesn't have a friend who's there with him. It's all survival of the fittest. Who can get down into the pool quickest? And this poor man never gets to the pool quite in time. Again, what particular illness does he have? We really just don't know. But we do know what Jesus asks him. Do you want to be made well? And we know How long he had had this infirmity? 38 years. 38 years. 38 years? I'm not even 38 years old yet. I feel like I've been here forever. 38 stinking years, this man has been helpless and hurting. Do you ever get tired of waiting? I know some of you do. I imagine if we're honest, we all do. I know I do. I know Lindsay does. I know my kids do. Ever get tired of suffering? Of being lonely? That sort of waiting? Of feeling forgotten? Of feeling alone? of feeling helpless. I remember my second semester in seminary sitting in Dr. Oswalt's class and knowing that There were were a lot of things in life that just weren't quite working out like we had expected. Lindsay and I had put our house on the market and entrusted the Lord to move back to Mississippi before it sold. And now we're a semester and a half in, and we've marked the day on the calendar when... We had not yet told everybody, but we were going to start packing boxes because we had a house in Georgia we were paying for, and we were paying rent in Mississippi in a much, much smaller place. And we had a baby on the way, and we had no earthly idea how life was going to work out. She had been laid off from work. She made infinitely more money than I did at the time. Laid off because she was expecting. I mean not laid off, you can't do that, you'll get sued, but put on leave and after so much time on leave the job's gone, but you can apply later. And I remember sitting in doctor Oswald's class and you gotta keep in mind this was a I think a Thursday night class and every Thursday night after the class I would drive back home to our tiny little maybe 800 square foot apartment and I would drive home in the silence and in the darkness about 1030 at night just driving home I didn't want to hear anything I didn't want to think about anything I simply wanted to wake up the next morning and find that somehow some way God had pulled through but I remember sitting in this class before that slow, late, dark, quiet drive home. And I remember Dr. Oswald saying something to the effect of this When you just can't wait any longer, just wait a bit longer. <laughs> I remember being in his discipleship group, just a a year or so later and expressing to him how hard that was to hear but how helpful that was to hear and I remember him saying I always wondered how you were taking it because of course I've got you and your situation in mind because at that time Marshall Dagg was in his discipleship group and had shared a little bit of the stress that we were under Thirty. Eight years. The moment when you think you just can't make it anymore is the moment God tends to show up. He's like Gandalf the Grey. A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he intends to. What do you want? Somehow, Jesus knows this man's need. Of all the folks on the porch, of all the folks on the five porches, of all the folks entering and exiting the temple, Jesus notices this particular man. John tells us there was a certain man, which is John's way of saying, this is someone that Jesus had zeroed in on. He notices, and even more amazing than that, he knows. He knows this man's condition, and he knows how long he's waited for this day. After the man explains his helplessness, detailing why he's not yet caught a break like some of the others around here, Some of the more fortunate of Israel's helpless masses and pitiful cases, Jesus interrupts him. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Three commands. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. A commentator that I looked at this week described it as three thunderbolts of healing power. I like that. It goes on to say, and with that, 38 years of sickness were destroyed by three simple words of the Master. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. What's ailing you? What's got you down? I'm not saying that Jesus will always heal what's broken. There were others in the crowd, others who were hurting, others who were needy, others who were desperate and wanting to be touched, healed. No, I'm not saying that Jesus will always heal everything that's broken, but I'll guarantee you this, He can. What's even perhaps more wonderful is that He notices you. And on top of that, He knows your need. He knows why you're here. He knows why you're lying on your mat on the porch. He knows what you're waiting for. And for all of us, that need, that hurt, that helplessness shows up in different ways. For some of us, it is a physical ailment. An infirmity that we've borne. And we're bearing and we're thinking, Lord, why have you not healed me yet? For others of us, it's a relational hurt. And He can heal that too. Some of us, it's emotional damage. And even for that, He is the great physician. And He is the one who is able to put back together the brokenness of the human soul. He is Lord of our bodies and Lord of our hearts. And He can mend and heal Anything that's broken, he can deal with the damage that sin has done in our lives, this, the sins of others and the damage that has been inflicted on us, and the sins of ourselves, those self defeating and self crippling sins. And he can heal, he can drive it away. Not everyone will be happy. The Jewish leaders were surely not happy. In fact, they were quite upset. What are you doing? Today is the Sabbath. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Whoever it was who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. So that's what I'm doing. What? Who told you that? Honestly, I don't have any idea. I don't have a clue who he was. When they finally catch up with Jesus, his response to the authorities, to their concern, is that he's simply doing his father's work. He's just doing what he's always done. Whatever his father wants. And from here on out, the text tells us, the authorities are after Jesus. This is a great hinge point in John's gospel. Everything's been exciting and positive, and, but there's been that idea that still lingers in our minds from John's prologue back in chapter 1, He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the authority, the power, and the right to become children of God. Born not of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Now... We start to see there's some contention. There's some problem with his coming. There's some hang up that his own people couldn't get past. Jesus meets up with the man. In the temple. And he essentially tells him, don't be ungrateful. You simply obey the one who makes you well. You know, the greatest of ingratitude would be for Jesus to heal you and you to turn right back around and say, I'm going to live my life how I want now. And think about how many times we've done that in our own lives. We've cried out to Jesus for help. We've pleaded with Him. If if you'll just touch this, if you'll just answer this prayer, if you'll just open this door, if you'll just make this way, if you'll just draw this person back, then, Lord... We might not be making those deals like some, some of the heathen do. You know, I'll be at church on Sunday because we assume, yeah, we'll be there as it is. But Lord, if you'll just answer this, I'll be so grateful. And then we go and return back to our sins and back to our waywardness and back to our wandering away from Him. Trying to do life just as we want without regard to Him. Like spoiled brats. The scriptures are less kind. You don't want to be called spoiled brat. The scriptures tell us we're like dogs going back to our vomit. So Jesus tells him, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. That's amusing to me, I'll be honest. Here, Jesus is not suggesting that illness and disease are always the direct result of a person's sin, nor that they are necessarily a punishment for one's own sin. Sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes life just isn't fair. Sometimes we just get sick. Sometimes we just get hurt. That's life in a broken world. No, Jesus is not saying, oh, you have this infirmity because of the sins of your parents or because of your own sins and God's judging you. In fact, Jesus later in John's Gospel will dispel that idea. Absolutely not. No, but interestingly, and for me amusingly, Jesus does seem willing to make threats. That's not the Jesus we're used to, is it? One who tells us, or else? Like a father to his son, Jesus is saying, you've got a good thing going here, kid. Don't. Blow it or else make of that what you will. But if Jesus's very words can put a human body back together, and if Jesus, as the eternal Son of the Father, has the authority to do whatever he wants on the Sabbath, then surely. He can intimidate the sin out of our lives. Can He not? Jesus, later in John's Gospel, will tell the woman caught in the midst of the act of adultery, go and sin no more. And the one who created the human being the one who created the human heart can heal and clean up and mend and make right a human person. Heart and life. Jesus had noticed this man. He noticed him. He had known his need and the extent of it. And as the man then returns to the Jews to testify, Jesus had made him well. What is it in your life? that might come to your mind when Jesus notices you and knows your need and looks to you and says, what is it that you want? Do you wish to be made well? Whatever it is that comes to our minds, in that moment is what we need to lay before the feet of Jesus and say oh Lord I've tried everything I just can't do it I don't have strength within me I don't have the smarts within me I don't have the ability within me I just can't do it and I need you And that's where we leave it.